This recording is from Redemption Church in Tempe, Arizona. More information available at tempe.redemptionaz.com. So this, this is Rico, and Rico and I met a couple of years ago at a membership class, maybe three years ago now, at a membership class, and um, Jason Raber gave me the list of those who were in the class and who I needed to meet with, and I, and I saw Rico Lavender, I'm like, that can't be his real name, right? <laughs> so the first thing we're going to address is, why are you lying? Um, but my man, this is, my, this is his real name, and uh, awesome, awesome guy. We got a chance to get to know each other the past few years, got a chance to play in the back, basketball league, Redemption Tempe, won the championship. Church league, but still, nonetheless, <laughs> Jesus was on. Anyways, um, so um, I've asked Rico to come to be able to share his story. As a pastor, I get a chance to hear uh, a lot of people who go through uh, tragedy and um, go through hard times, and even particularly when it comes to divorce. And um, a lot of times people think they're the only one, and I'm, I'm convinced um, that in our congregation there are many um, who will be ministered to this, and then all of us who are, no matter where we are, will get an opportunity to hear how God's grace has been moving in your life, so you have the stage. All right. Um, well, thanks, Ricardo. It was, uh, when I was asked to do an all-of-life interview, uh, you know, we usually do vocation, and I, you know, I work like five different jobs, so I was like, well, I can do this. This is easy, but he was like, no, we're going to, you're going to, you know, give your testimony, and I was like, well, you know, that's, that's a tough subject for me. You know, I don't think that's going to work out. I can't do it. And uh, here I am, though, you know, after prayer and some thought. Um, I think it's encouraging. You know, I want to, I want to say this, and um, so I will. I, uh, uh, six years ago, uh, life kind of threw a curveball at me. I was doing well, had a good job, and friends that lived here in uh, Gilbert, had a house and everything, and I was uh, dating a girl that was in the Air Force at the time, and she uh, received orders to uh, be stationed in Italy, in northern Italy at Aviano Air Force Base, and we, um, we had briefly talked about what would happen if she was, you know, stationed somewhere else, and uh, so we, everything was moving quickly, and we decided to, to get married. Uh, we just eloped. We didn't have uh, a wedding or anything, and so uh, we didn't get to enjoy celebration or, you know, having a DJ, and I think every good wedding needs a <laughs> DJ, so just want to throw that out there. Um, <laughs> um, but anyway, we, uh, I, I left everything, left my, my friends and sold my house and quit my job and moved out there for, we were in love and... Um, that's what you do. And so we were, we lived in Italy for about 11 months until she was deployed to Afghanistan because uh, America was at war at the time. And she was supposed to be gone for five months. And uh, I, I came back to the States to do some work. And so we would talk daily. Uh, she had about 10 to 15 minutes to get on the phone with me. And two thirds of the way through her deployment, this normal, you know, we're having normal conversation, and towards the end of that conversation, I hear um, from her, you know, Rico, I no longer love you. And it was, it was so shocking and hard at the time to hear that, because it's just like, well, what, is, what does that mean? You know, what are you talking about? And as time progressed, um, it, was, it was getting worse. She, you know, was 
uh, saying a lot of mean things and just wanting to get out of the marriage and different things like that. And my, uh, my health started to deteriorate because I was, I was so emotionally stressed. I lost about 40 pounds in a month. And as you can see, I, I don't have any room to lose many pounds. And so I, was, um, I wasn't doing well, uh, but I wanted to reconcile the marriage. And after some counseling, uh, it was uh, suggested that I go back out there and, and, you know, fight for my wife. And so I did. I went back out to Italy. And I remember looking at her um, in the eyes the first time after, you know, five months. And I looked at her, and I, I didn't know who I was looking at anymore. It was, it was like she was a completely different person. You know, you can just tell when somebody that you've known for a long time is just not there. And uh, it, it, hurt, it, it just it hit me so bad, I didn't know how to react or what to do. But I was there, and I wanted to reconcile, uh, but she, she wasn't having it, and I eventually went home. My health was getting worse. Um, I, I soon found out right when I went home that she... Uh, she was, in fact, with someone else. I um, was in love with someone else, and it, was, it, it just hit me so hard. I, uh, I was admitted to the hospital. I, was, um, I had an overactive thyroid, and I didn't realize how much the thyroid affects the rest of your body, and I was very weak and just couldn't do things. And so I was in the hospital for five days. I didn't hear from her or anything. Uh, luckily, I, I was back at home in Illinois uh, while this was happening, so my family was with me. But I was just at such a low point in life. You know, I was, my, I was physically dying because, you know, I was still losing weight, and I couldn't eat. I couldn't even, tw I was 28 years old, and I couldn't use the bathroom on my own. It was, it was, it was really hard. Um, so as time went on, you know, she... Uh, eventually uh, sent me divorce papers, which arrived on Christmas Eve, um, and it just and things just kept getting worse. I uh, I since I, I had I had moved to Minnesota to start working just because I was you know I was living at home, uh, trying to recover from my sickness, and I uh, it just wasn't doing anything, and um, uh, but I was still praying. I was counsel. I was getting counsel and. There were friends that were praying for me, like, you know, you're going to get through this. Uh, you, know, maybe, you know, maybe the Lord will turn this around. Maybe the Lord will reach her heart. But that didn't happen. Uh, she, she ended up getting engaged to this guy, and we were, we were still married. Um, so at that point, I realized that it was over, that it wasn't happening. Um, and it was, it was very hard because, you know, as, being as a Christian, you think, like, oh, yeah, yeah, the Lord's on my side, man. I can pray and, you know, things will be okay, but that didn't happen. And so I, uh, through happenstance, I was in Minnesota and I moved back out here. And I remember having a prayer with the Lord and I said, uh, Lord, I'm, I'm discontinuing my Christian services. I'm, I'm giving up on this. Like, you didn't help me, and so there's no need for me to do anything anymore. I didn't want it. And, uh, you know, I, know it was, I knew it was wrong. It was a prideful decision. I'm a Christian, but, you know, I, I, was, I was broken. I was hurt, you know, and what, what do I do? Um, but as time went on, you know, that only lasted four months or so because, you know, as a happenstance, I, I found this church and I visited, and, uh, you know, I just felt an overwhelming sense of, of community here and joy, 
and uh, and just being, you know, I've been here for three years now, and you know, I I can honestly say I'm I'm fully healed, you know, both emotionally and physically, um, and that's just because of God's grace that He's shown through this church. It wasn't, you know, different Bible verses that people gave me. It wasn't, you know, praying with a prayer warrior or anyone like that. It wasn't you know, Ricardo's preaching. You know, he preaches well, but uh, it wasn't that. It was it it was honestly all of you. It was everyone here that was just a friend. And even if you just say hi, you know, it's everyone here reached out. Um, I got involved in the RC, and, uh, you know, it can be intimidating at first. You know, I'm ashamed because here I am, I'm a young, in my 20s, I'm divorced. Like, what are people going to think of me? But people didn't, they, I didn't get judged. I, you know, I didn't feel that way. It was God's grace being shown through all of you. And, you know, just being in this series of building a stronger church, you know, that's what the church is. It's all of us. It's us as a whole. It's all of you. And I just thank, I just thank everyone here that I've encountered, everyone here that, you know, I don't know um, because I see, I see God's grace through people here. I see God's grace through uh, just the love that, uh, that's been received and that's around. And I just want to encourage people that have been through maybe a similar thing that I've been through or, you know, just have other struggles, uh, reach out because this is a unique community right here that you're in. Whether you're visiting or have been here for a while, this is, it's very unique. You know, I've been to a lot of churches and I've not seen a group of people that, uh, you know, we still have faults, we're just normal people, but we love Jesus and it's, it's shown and I'm, I'm healed through that. And I thank all of you, whether I know you or not, it's this church as a whole and community, and I think that's very important in our lives, uh, just to have that. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that is pretty much my story. So. Thanks again, man. I appreciate it a lot. Um, so we're going to do something a little bit different. So if this is your first time here, we don't normally do this, but we're going to make you touch somebody today. So um, holding hands. Um, so would you guys please stand? We're going to hold hands, and we're going we're gonna to pray uh, with one another. And, and, um, and primarily, just let's just pray for the reality of life um, that happens, that we would understand and have a strong foundation in the Lord. Um, with the context of one another, and um, honestly, I, I told, when we, we met on Monday, and we were, we, we talked and talked, and I just thought, man, if I were smarter, I would have just said, have Rico talk the whole day. We would have sang, take communion, and went home, um, but let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for um, your story. God, I, I can, as we look forward to and look towards um, just this day and Palm Sunday and you looking forward to the cross and Lord, why you came to the cross to absorb pain and absorb the reality of the consequences and effects of sin and to bear in your body, Lord, um, Lord, our iniquities and your word says through your stripes, we become healed and the healing takes place through your prayer, through your people, through your means of grace and what you've given us. I pray for marriages. I pray for marriages that, that ended. 
I pray for those of us in this room who are doubting, who try to be away from church, and yet you, by your spirit, keep drawing us back to you through your people. God, I do ask and pray that in your name that we would continue to be a community that understands and knows um, that you are with us every step of the way. And God, that we would be able to wrap our arms and our lives around other people, welcoming them in no matter where they've been or where they've gone. God, that we would truly be a reflection of the life and love of Christ. We praise you, Lord, and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. Hey, you guys, this is week two of our Building a Stronger Church series. We were in the series, the Gospel of Mark. We took a pause from that for two weeks uh, to talk about our vision series, and then we'll jump back to that after Easter. And so if you weren't here last week, we talked a lot about where we're going as a congregation and what God is doing in and through us, um, and then also where we're at in our capital campaign in terms of raising the, the appropriate finances for the purchase of this property that we had. Um, if you want more details on that, Go online and listen to the message. Uh, many of you guys took pledge cards that you were praying for and you wanted to bring back in, and you can go ahead and drop those off in the offering boxes. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, again, go online, um, listen to the message, or come find us afterwards. We'll be able to get you the information that you need. Uh, today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you go and turn to Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and slip your hand up. Raise it really high, and then one of the ushers will be able to get you a copy of God's Word uh, so that you can follow along with us. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep the one that we are handing out. It is our gift to you. So um, what we talked about last week, primarily as this is a church, is how we want to be a welcoming community and how we're not just a church that's in a city, but a church that's for a city. That is, understanding and loving those who believe and those who do not believe in the way that we believe. Welcoming people into our family, uh, our church family, being able to care for the marginalized, the under-resourced within our community, all in the name of Jesus and things that we see flowing out of Scripture and making disciples in response to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, today what we're going to talk about is so much, okay, how do we get there? Like, what are the fundamental things that we cannot lose as a church, no matter how long we become a church? These things will be a part of redemption 20, 40, 50, 60 years when we're gone, and the next generation of people are here being a church. And so we're going to be able to look at those things uh, today. And the three things that we'll see in this scripture here in Acts chapter 2 is, one, it's a dependence and a reliance on God's word. It's a dependence and a reliance on God's spirit, and then a dependence and a reliance on God's people, his word, his spirit, and people. And so that's what we'll be at uh, this morning. Um, one, of, one of my favorite, favorite coaches and teachers, and given that it's March and college basketball, is John Wooden. 
And some of you may or may not know who John Wooden is. He's no longer with us. He's off to be with the Lord. But one of the best basketball coaches ever in the history of earth. And um, John, John Wooden himself was known as a good coach, but also a great teacher. And he won several championships and so forth. I was watching this TED talk of him not too long ago, um, which makes me think, I don't even know if TED was around when he gave this talk. I think they jacked one of his speeches and threw the TED label on it. But anyways, so he's talking about um, success and what it means to be successful. And everyone thinks he's going to talk about how they won championships, because he asked the question, how do they win championships? He spent four or five minutes talking about the importance of the values of what they needed to do in order to ever win a championship. And those four to five minutes was him explaining how every single season he would start off minutes upon minutes upon minutes teaching these these all-star athletes how to put on socks and tie shoes, right? Very simple, right? These are college people, and he's teaching them how to put on socks and then then tie tie shoes. Good good news, things have not changed. Um, And so teaching college kids how to do these particular things. And his whole point was, if they don't wear the socks the proper way, they're going to get blisters and they're going to get hurt. If their shoes are too loose and they're not tightened, they're going to be moving their foot and their shoe at the same time, and they're going to be on balance, and they're going to roll the ankle. And its whole point was we can never win a championship if we can't even do the fundamental things of tying shoes and putting on socks, or actually putting on socks and then tying shoes. why I read, you know what I'm saying? Got to learn somewhere, right? And so what we're looking at today is what are those things that we cannot do any of the loving our neighbor and caring for people and pouring out ourselves and being generous and blessing people, those who are like us and those who are not like us. How do we love people in the name of Jesus until we understand these essential things? And these essential things of God's word and his people and his spirit, these things will be a part of us and they have to be a part of us. And so that's where we pick up today in Acts. Let me just kind of catch you up to speed of what we're going to do here so you know. It's going to be a little different sermon than normal. Um, I'm going to teach, and, there's, and it, we're, we're trying to facilitate all the questions that you guys have been asking, and we're giving you more opportunity to ask more questions. So look at the screen right now. Um, try to follow these instructions, and, and, and then you can text in any questions that you have. I'm going to teach for half the time that I normally teach. I'm not going to tell you how, no, how much I normally teach. Um, half the time. And then we're going to be able to facilitate those questions. And so go ahead and leave that up and just pop that up periodically. And you can take out your phone, and you can go ahead and text those questions in. The only time in redemption history that it's okay for you uh, to take out your phone and text people. Any other time, God doesn't like it, and then I don't like it. No, just joking. I don't. <laughs> so here's what we, so what we have here is so far um, in the book of Acts, you have God. Jesus has just been resurrected. He's talking to his disciples, and he's saying, I'm getting ready to go back to heaven. And what's going to happen is the Spirit's going to come upon you. It says, don't go anywhere, just remain here. And then what we have have is they remained there in Jerusalem, and they were praying in a room. They were afraid. And they were afraid because they already had killed Jesus, and they're thinking if they killed Jesus and were his followers, we're next. But Jesus says the Spirit was going to come. And then what we read about in Acts chapter 2 in the beginning is that all of a sudden, as they're praying, the Spirit of God begins to rain down upon them. And that they begin to speak in languages or tongues that they didn't normally speak in and praising God. And people, um, they begin to run out of the house just praising Jesus. And all the people in their area were looking at them going, what the heck is going on, right? They have no idea what to contribute this to. In in fact, one of them goes, are are they drunk? And then the apostle Peter steps in and goes, no, they're not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. They get drunk later right? He goes, no, they're not drunk right now. He goes, they're just filled with the Holy Spirit. And all these people are wondering why. And then Peter steps back, and then he preaches a sermon. And in this sermon, he essentially says, these are the followers of Jesus. It is his spirit that is upon them. This Jesus that you crucified, 
He's raised, and he has good news for you. But if you, for, if you repent and believe upon him, that you may have new life and then be baptized. And it says, after that sermon, 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus. Best sermon ever recorded in the history of earth, right? 3,000 people believed upon Jesus, and then that's where we picked up. Now there's 3,000 people, and they're trying to be the church, as this is when the church began. And so first thing we have here is our reliance upon God's word. Because what we see, what was present in the early church is the same things that need to be present in the church always. Churches are always going to do different things than other churches, but the essential things are here. And first is God's word. Verse 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. So, so what they did is they went to the apostles, those who wrote uh, the New Testament, and that they devoted themselves to their teaching. That is the teaching of Scripture. And what that means is that their highest degree of authority was God's word. Okay, as a part of redemption, as we talk about who we are, um, um, if you've never known this um, or you're new here, um, we believe that the Bible in itself is the highest degree of authority that we have. It's the primary way of which God communicates through us, through his sacred text. That's his inspired word. That doesn't mean that God doesn't communicate in other ways. We're saying this is the primary way, so we submit ourselves to God's word. Even more functionally, what that means is, as a church, we primarily teach through books of the Bible. We understand that it's longer, it, it takes longer. Uh, we just got finished teaching the, the, the book of Romans that lasted a long time, um, but we walk through it. Uh, we do topical sermons, but by and large, we do books of the Bible. Here's why. We believe that it teaches us how to study, we can submit ourselves to God's word, and then it also makes us teach things that we wouldn't normally choose, right? When you do topical sermons, they're really good and they're pertinent and they're relevant to where people are at. When you teach through books of the Bible, there are stuff that comes up that you cannot just omit, right? We went through the first chapter of Romans, and in the first chapter of Romans, we had to deal with judgment, God's wrath, um, the teaching on homosexuality. Like, if you had to pick three topics that pastors go, we don't want to teach on, those are the three topics, right? And we had to walk through those things, and it forced us to wrestle with what the Bible said about those particular topics. So we submit ourselves to God's word. Um, here's the interesting about the Bible. The Bible has, there's been probably close to four billion Bibles sold, making it the, the best-selling book ever. But there's a difference, and you guys know, there's a, there's a difference between um, best-selling and, and, and most read, right? Because when Suzanne Collins was writing the Hunger Games trilogy, we actually read that, right, from start to finish. Come on, Cadmus, let's get it, not, not Peter, right? Let's, right? We, some of us read that, right? When people pick up the Bible, people don't usually read the Bible from start to finish, from creation and recreation and what God's doing and understanding all the nuances. Usually we get the Bible and we, right, and we land in some place in some weird text telling us to shave our beard. We have no idea what we're, we're doing. Um, some of us can't grow beards, and we're like, well, we're godly. And so there's, there's a, we have no idea, right? We have no idea what's going on. And, and part of that is because within the church, there is a sense of biblical literacy. And so you've heard me say this once, I'll say it again. If you are coming on a Sunday service, and you're hearing us teach the Bible, and we faithfully teach through the books of the Bible, we faithfully communicate God's gospel, um, that is really good, but is insufficient in your growth in the Lord. Meaning if we're going to be the church that pours ourselves out for people, that we're highly generous, that we understand the gospel, we're repenting and believing, constantly growing the grace of God, centering our life around the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, um, we have to submit to his word. And preaching and hearing preaching on a Sunday is insufficient if we're not constantly reading God's word. That if we don't understand God's word, I mean, it's insufficient. I don't care who the preacher is. Rico already told you I'm not any good anyway. And so... <laughs> 
we, we need to constantly read God's word. And so if you are not warming yourself to the, to the, to the fire of God's word, then your heart's going to grow cold. Your, your walk's going to grow cold. Um, we did that survey, survey a few months back that we're still getting all the data back from that. But one of the things we, we learned is out of the thousand people that took that survey is that the average person in redemption reads their Bible once a week on their own. Um, that's not good. Um, that's not good. You should be reading your Bible. And hear me, I understand when you read your Bible every day, it's not the greatest experience in the world. Some people think, oh, I know you pastors, you guys read, and it's like you guys get around together and read the Bible, and you start floating in the air, and it's like, <laughs> we don't always read our Bible. Um, we do float in the air. <laughs> Sometimes you read the Bible, and it doesn't feel like the greatest experience in the world, but it's constantly being shaped, because if you're not being shaped by God's word, you're being shaped by somebody else's word. If you're not relying on God's truth, you're believing another lie. And so how are we actually to live out this faith and care for people um, if we don't understand God's word? And so practically, what does that look like? Um, one, if you don't know how to read the Bible, um, if you're saying, I don't even know how to read the Bible, Ricardo, if that's you, don't, I'm not going to tell you to raise your hand. I'm going to say, at some point today, fill out that Connect card and say, your name, email address, I don't know how to read the Bible, I need somebody to teach me, right? Drop it off in the offering box, we'll get somebody to teach you. On the flip side of that, if you're going, I know how to read my Bible, and I could teach somebody, Write down your name and email address. I know how to read the Bible. I could teach somebody, right? And then, and then don't put, like, preferably someone of the opposite sex. We're not doing that, all right? <laughs> like, I taught you Jesus. You marry me. No, 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 no. We're not doing that, all right? <laughs> I know some of you, right? So that we can match people together and saying, just learn how to read the Bible. Personally, here's how I learned to read the Bible. I did not know how to read the Bible. I didn't take a class. I didn't go to a church to learn how to read the Bible. I, I got a study Bible, which I highly recommend. You can get an ESV study Bible. If you're an app person, go ahead and download the app. The study Bible is 1099, I believe. And then you could, uh, what I would do is I would read a page, and then I would read the study notes because I had no idea what the page was talking about. And I read the study notes, I read the page, and then over a period of time, I began to learn God's word and understand God's word and, and love God's word. And they're, like the Bible, reading God's word is like any relationship. There's not everything in it that you're going to go, oh, I really love that. Oh, that makes me feel good. No, no. It's any relationship. There's going to be pushback and saying, why don't I trust this? Why don't I believe this? But ultimately finding yourself submitting to God's word. And so as we continue to be a church, one of the fundamental things is that we submit ultimately to the inspired word of God, teach God's word, and that we read God's word daily, all right? Point number two is not just the church rely on God's word, but they begin to rely on his Holy Spirit. And so continue to read with me. After they devoted to his teaching, this is interesting, verse 43 says this, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. I love that. They, they devoted themselves to God's word, they hung out with each other, they broke bread, they prayed, and then God started doing incredible things around them. In fact, when it says that awe came upon them, that awe is like that fear. And it's, it's a reverence fear, not a being afraid of, but going, man, that can only be an act of God. They're doing normal things, and the Holy Spirit shows up and does work through the apostles. Now, because one of the questions we got emailed is, what is our belief in the Holy Spirit? Like, one of the questions is, what is Redemption Tempe's belief in the Holy Spirit, and why we need to rely on the Holy Spirit? Now, when it comes to the Trinity, for whatever reason, um, depending on how you were raised, maybe you understand God the Father. You're like, I know God the Father, I know God the Son, and then God the Holy Spirit is kind of like that uncle that you see every once in a while. You don't really know about him. He's kind of awkward, um, but he's there, right? That's how sometimes we, we look at the Holy Spirit. It's like, I know he's there, he's real, but he, I don't know, right? The Holy Spirit is equally a part of the Trinity at the fa as a father and as a son. And so when you begin to look at the very beginning of the Bible, you see in Genesis the Spirit is hovering over creation. 
that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at work in creation. The Spirit gives gifts to the church. In fact, the first time we see the Spirit giving gifts to God's people is actually in the Old Testament. He gives gifts to two artists who are actually building the temple of God. So artists, they started with you. Right? And then after that, we see the Holy Spirit speaking through the prophets. The Holy Spirit uh, begins to use the prophets. It communicates God's word. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament resides upon God's people. But the Holy Spirit doesn't permanently indwell God's people until the New Testament. And Jesus says it this way in, in the Gospel of John. He says, I have to leave. Um, because when I leave, I'm going to send another, and that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will remind you of things. The Holy Spirit will teach you of things. And Jesus is saying, you're following me, right? We've been going through the Gospel of Mark. What it's like when Jesus was here is wherever Jesus went, that's where everybody would go. Wherever Jesus went, they'd go over there. It's like if you've ever saw little kids play soccer. It's like wherever that little soccer ball goes, these little, little humans just go over there and follow that soccer ball, right? And Jesus is going, listen, I can't be everywhere at all times, but the Spirit can and I'm going to send you the Spirit. And so the first time, as we talked about in Acts chapter 2, as the Spirit of God began to reside in his people. The Spirit also regenerates. What that means is it takes a heart that looks at the teachings of Jesus and go, no, thank you. They hear about God's love for them and his dying on the cross for them and promising of eternal life, and they say, no, thank you. And the Spirit opens up that heart to begin to receive and believe the good news of Christ. The Spirit convicts us of sin. The Spirit can be grieved. That is, when we, don't, when we do what God says don't do, we're grieving the Spirit. The Spirit can be quenched, meaning we can put out the Spirit, so to say, when we begin to not do what God's calling us to do. So one is a sin of commission, and one is a sin of omission. And so we believe in the constant work of the Holy Spirit. Now, when it comes to gifts and miracles, we fundamentally, and I fundamentally agree, that God still does miracles, and he still gives gifts to miracles, miraculous gifts to his people. We fundamentally believe in that. We understand that all Christians hold that view, and that's fine, but we, we personally do believe in them, that God works through that in, in, in amazing ways. They devoted themselves to very normal things. They believed upon God. They believed in Jesus, and the Spirit began to authenticate their ministry. Here, here, here's what I mean. When it comes to us doing what God calls us to do in this particular city, we don't just do it in our own strength. We do it in the strength of the Spirit. We cannot do it. We cannot live without Him constantly giving us a strength. Think of it this way. Those of you guys who uh, lived in Tempe for a while, we talked about this last week. Most people come to Tempe. They go to ASU. They apply to go to ASU. They know they're going to get in. It's 100% chance. And they get in, and they live in a dorm, and then they move out of a dorm, and then they get an apartment. And they, them and a few buddies or whatever say, hey, we can afford it with the money that we have. And they go, and the apartment goes, we don't trust your credit, right? And then they say, you need a co-signer. And then you go, my parents ain't got it. My parents ain't got it. It's always one rich friend. You're like, right? <laughs> Call your parents, right? And their parents come, and they co-sign it. And we can't move in, can't live in that place, can't enjoy the swimming pools and all the other cool things that these apartment complexes have for us unless your parents co-sign. We cannot do ministry unless the Holy Spirit is co-signing it, unless the Spirit is behind it, unless the Spirit has given us the strength that we need. And that's even in the small little things. We want to be normal people in the name of Jesus who do normal things that are inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so we trust in the work of the Holy Spirit. And so the question that comes after that is, okay, Ricardo, how do I walk in line with the Spirit? How do I get moved by the Spirit, so to say. Here, it's really simple. Do everything that God tells you to do. Don't do what he says not to do. It's simple. It's called obedience. When you do what God calls you to do, you pour yourselves out for the least of these. You're honest. You're faithful. You're true. You, you, you live for justice and beauty and all of those things. The Spirit, through obedience, will, will, will absolutely empower you. When you stop doing what God says stop doing, right, the, the Spirit will empower you. And we get, well, redemption's not a spirit-filled church because I don't see everybody raising their hands. Listen, you can't me measure 
someone's um, amount of spirit in them because of what they do with their hands, right? I'm, I'm being honest. I'm, I think the hand raising thing is far more personality driven than it is anything. And I'm a hand raiser. I'll, I'll put my, I'll do a cartwheel. Like I like doing stuff like that, right? But that doesn't mean that I'm filled with the spirit, right? Um, so somehow we think at some level, like you, you know, you get become a Christian and you raise your hands this much. Oh, you're growing. And then when you get up here, it's like heaven's next day, right? No, it's just, it's just personality, a lot of it. And so we are spirit-filled because we believe in God's word, and God's word is the one who begins to, uh, the spirit begins to work through God's word in our, in our life. So we're relying upon God's word, relying upon his Holy Spirit. And then we'll end with this one, and then we'll have the questions, is God's people. And everything that Rico just said, everything of why we need each other, we need each other more than we think we need each other. And we need people not like us challenging us. We need people that are completely on the opposite end of the political scheme, people, people complete, completely opposite on the social economic scheme, people who are from different places. We need to be challenged with all sorts of people who are trusting in Christ because not, none of, we're never going for sameness, but we're all, always going for oneness. And there's a difference. And here's what it says here. It says here in verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any who had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, all who were being saved. It's really simple. They were always together. They went to the temple together. They worshiped Jesus. They, they didn't just worship on a particular day. They also went into people's homes. Um, they went in, and they fellowshiped together. They hung out together. They broke bread together. That means they took communion and they ate together. They shared the things that they had. And it wasn't some like communism or anything like that. It was just, I have something extra, I'll share with you. When you have something extra, maybe you'll share with me. Today we go to your crib, tomorrow you go to my crib, we could be friends, the whole thing. We've talked about that, right? And so they, they were together. It'd be like us opening up our homes, inviting people into our homes or our apartments or our dorms or our cars, wherever we meet with people, um, and, and, and we share Christ, that we're together. And it's not always looking for best friends. Which are people going, I, this is what I need. I need someone who's in my demographic, someone who thinks like me, who's relatively attractive, and, and, and I need to be in that context, and then I'll grow in Jesus. No, no, no. Whoever it is that God brings in your life. I'm not saying you to be best friends, but if you love Jesus and they love Jesus, why don't you just start there and be in community? If, if you are, I'm talking to you, if you're a person who says, I just come to church on Sunday and I do my thing, I'm specifically talking to you. We cannot be a church if you are not collectively uh, reading God's word, individually reading God's word, submitting to God's word. We cannot be a church if we're not collectively submitting to the spirit of God in obedience, if you're not individually submitting to God in obedience, um, in his spirit. We cannot be a church if everybody is about number one. If it is always about what you need or what your particular family needs or whatever your needs are, um, we can never be one. We can only be one if we do what Jesus tells us to do, and that is to consider the needs of the other, and I will find my joy in actually serving somebody else. Because it's exactly what we saw in Jesus' life. We go back to Jesus all the time, that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but actually to serve. If we are followers of that man, the man Christ, the Messiah, then we will actually find our joy in loving him and serving him and submitting to him in the context of one another's, personally. The worst time of my spiritual walk was when I was in transition from one community of believers' church to another. And, and, and mainly because I hung out with people who I knew, who I trust, but nobody was going to point me to Jesus. And therefore, there was, there was no inspiration, there was no conviction, none of that. It was just me trying to do my thing. 
Was I reading my Bible? Absolutely. Was I praying? Absolutely. But I was without the fellowship of one another's and believers. And some of us, you know, in your own life, you know what that's like. You know what it's like even in your personal walk. And so if we're going to do anything of, in influential ways in our city, any ways that begin to display the glory of God, we have to have the daily and weekly and monthly and yearly practices of submitting ourselves to God's word, being reliant and submitting to the Holy Spirit and walking in the Spirit in truthful and honest ways through obedience and also submitting ourselves to the context of one another. So if you're saying, I'm that person on the margin, find a community of people. Um, meet with us, talk with us, fill out a connect card. We will get you in the life of other people. Amen? Shortest sermon ever recorded by me. Remember, mark, mark the day. Palm Sunday, 2015. Never to be done again. All right, so let's get these questions. We're good? Let's roll with them. Um, by the way, if there's any questions that I can't answer or I answer wrong, go ahead and email me at jasonraber at redemptionaz.com. All right, here's we go. Does Redemption Tempe support missionaries around the world? I see that there is a global initiative on the website, but we'd like to know more info about your view on missionary work. Uh, where has Redemption Tempe sent missionaries? So we do support missionaries around the world. Primarily, the bulk of our work is in China. Um, we got to China for this reason. We looked at where is God bringing people in our own context that we can begin to engage people uh, from different cultures, and the, the rising and growing amount of people here, and particularly in Tempe, are those from Asia, particularly in China. And so we have ministry that are led by faithful men and women here to uh, people here, students here, staff here um, in our own city. And then we started partnering with an organization called ELIC, sending people over there that teach English in universities there. We sent our first missionary family, the Bensons, over to Turkey who got rerouted ultimately uh, um, into China and are doing ministry there. And that's the primary way that we do overseas ministry. We, we've uh, started in the last few years taking a, a group of people from here to go to China, and there'll be a team of people that are going to China this summer. And if you want more on the philosophy of our global initiatives, particularly in Redemption Tempe and all of Redemption, honestly, email jimmullins at az.com. Um, how do you accept friends with flaws, overlooking their problems to keep the friendship with God's grace? I'm not trying to be tongue-in-cheek, I promise you, so just understand. No, I'm sarcastic sometimes. Do your friends accept you with your flaws? Um, so you first, you got to look at yourself and realize somebody's accepting me and I got flaws, right? If anybody knows I got problems, it's me. Um, and it says overlooking their problems to keep the friendship. First of all, I would never overlook problems to keep the friendship. That's not being a good friend, right? If somebody's hurting themselves, harming themselves, especially someone who's a fellow uh, sister or brother in Christ that is not walking in the gospel, and I'm not talking legalism. I'm not talking beating somebody down, making them feel guilty for being a sinner. Listen, listen our guilt and shame has been paid for in Christ. But when someone's veering off the track, we've got to be people in light of the Holy Spirit to point people on the path of Christ. And so with God's grace, you first start, how was God's grace in my life? First, God, um, the Bible tells me that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not after, not once we signed an agreement or we had intentions. While we were still sinners, Christ showed grace for us, right? And so that's how we show grace for people while they're in sin and while they're struggling. Um, Christ never overlooks our issues. He deals with them in very bloody ways. And so he enters into our mess, and so we enter into it faithfully. You got to be willing to lose a friendship to love somebody sometimes. That's just the reality. And if you've ever been in a serious situation with somebody, the truth hurts, but it's truth. And you can't separate grace from truth, and you can't separate truth from grace. It all goes together. And so you need God's grace first in your life to be able to flow through that and walk with people in there. But t it, by the way, this whole thing is a process, right? It doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes it's a pickaxe moment. It happens right away. 
And sometimes it's a process. Can we heal others through the work of the Holy Spirit in us? Um, does God still heal today? Yes and yes. Next question. No. <laughs> um, here's, here, here's what I would say. Part of this question comes out of the idea of does God still give miraculous gifts? And hear me clearly on this. I, bl- I personally believe that God still gives miraculous gifts to people. I don't know who has them all, but he gives them. Prophecy, healing, I, I believe it. I, I believe all of it. I don't believe that the gifts have ceased. There are very, very godly men and women who believe that with the full canonization, meaning all the scriptures, that only the work of the apostles had gifts like that. And I, I disagree with that. I humbly disagree because most of these men and women are smarter than me. However, I don't think that in Corinthians when Paul says these things will cease, that that's what he's talking about. So with that, I do believe that God can heal. Let me just share a story with you, right? And it's not just, let me just authenticate this with an experience. That's not it. But here's a story. My friend um, was hit by a drunk driver and was in a coma. And I wasn't a pastor or anything like that, and I think we know enough in this church to know that, like, pastors aren't better or higher than anybody else, but I just want to say I was just, I was just, I wasn't a pastor. And I think I was a substitute teacher, which is really godly. And, um, and so, anyways, I was there praying with them in the coma. Obviously, he couldn't speak or whatnot. And long story short, I really sensed that the Lord told me that he was going to be okay. After the, this is the day after the, um, the doctor had talked to his mom while I was in the presence of saying they were going to pull the plug. Or they did talk about pulling the plug. And that he, even if he were to come out of the coma, he wouldn't live a normal life, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? I was shaking talking to his mom because I really sensed that the Spirit of God was telling me to tell her her son was going to be all right, he's going to have a normal life. Because I had doubts. I don't care how long you've been a Christian, you have doubts, right? And if you say you don't believe in anything, you have faith. Because it takes a lot of faith to believe in nothing. So we both got issues. And in this particular situation, I went in there, I laid my hands on him, I prayed for him, and I asked God to open up his eyes. He opened up his eyes, opened up his mouth. Up into this moment, he hadn't moved his right hand. He moved his right hand, and the doctor said it must be, um, they call it a medical miracle, and I'm going, call it what you want to call it. <laughs> but that was God, all right? Um, and he lives a normal life today, all right? Um, I don't think I have the gift of healing, but I do think that God healed him through prayers. So whether you believe in the miraculous gifts or whether you don't, you believe in God, and both believe that God heals. So who cares who has the gifts and where he decides to use them? Pray in the name of Jesus that he heals people. Now, I got to say this. There's been more people that I prayed for that didn't get healed. I love Rico's story. You pray for marriages to reconcile, and they reconcile. You pray for marriages to reconcile, and they don't. And I don't know. I don't have answers for that. I don't have answers for that. Are we looking into having more lay elders? Do we plan on getting some deacons? Um, some of you guys are going, I don't even... I don't even know the language, right? So let me try to explain that briefly. So you have elders, and you have those who lead the church. I would be one of your elders, and not literally, because, well, here sometimes. Um, and, but they're elders who oversee the church, and most of us are here on staff, and then we have people who have other jobs um, who are also elders. And one of those guys in process, Andy Carrillo. Um, yes, we will be looking to have more lay elders at some point, those who are ministering and doing work in other vocations and are also leading here. Uh, deacons, and you, you begin to read about, I believe it, it's in Acts chapter 6. What happens is the apostles are teaching and preaching, and their widows and people are not being served. And they're like, wait, we need to be studying God's word and teaching, but we can't also do this. We need people who serve. Literally, deacons mean servants. And so they raised up deacons. Um, and, and deacons, we believe, is a role that is there for men and women to be able to help serve. And so we have been in the process for the past year and a, year and a half formulating our deacon process. We do have people that are functional deacons right now, um, but we're, 
Those would be community leaders. There would be people like Caitlin Anderson, who's leading children's ministry, David Blakeman, who's leading worship, and other men and women in our congregation. But we have no formalized process for deacons at Redemption Tempe just yet. Great question, though. Can we search for a small group without attending Roots Community? So again, some of you are going, what's a small group? What's a Roots Community? This is, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. Again, by the way, when you become a Christian, there's like, they should give you a glossary <laughs> of all, this, <laughs> all of the things you have to learn. <laughs> Um, so we have small groups. We call them redemption communities, and they're a small gathering of people that meet in places. Roots community is something we do as so, somewhat of a launch point to get in the communities. Because what we saw for years is somebody would sign up to be in a community. We take Joe Stranger and put him in Susie Stranger's house in the living room with a bunch of people who they've never met before, and they said, this is awkward, and then they would just kind of end up in no man's land. So we started Roots Community and saying, let's take 20 to 40 people in a community for several weeks in which the pastors lead and we eat together, talk about the gospel and form a community, put new leaders in there so they can sit around tables with people and get to know them. And what we saw is those people have naturally made friends and started groups or the ones who win in groups, win in groups in two to three or four together and they've been able to consistently remain in those groups. And so that's why we have Roots Community and we highly, highly, highly recommend it. However, if you are like, I don't care about going to um, Susie Stranger's house, um, by all means, you can go straight to Susie Stranger's house. Does Redemption Tempe have a vision for women's ministry? Oh, dang it, we ran out of time. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, to be honest with you guys, this is something we've been laboring with for a while, and it's not just been us guys. We are in a particular context where the women that I believe that are valuable, and all the women are valuable but are gifted and qualified to lead, have young children or can't do it, and it's been really hard, and we've tried, and here's the reality. Everything that we do for men, we do for women. We have Bible boot camp for men and women. We have Surge, which is our the one-year theological education. There's more women in it than men. Men, there's more women in it than men. <laughs> Subliminal. Um, so there, there is, there is um, everything that we do. However, we don't have a men's ministry, but I get it. Women want something that other women could uh, be a part of, and we desperately want that. As your lead pastor, I desperately want that. I don't want an event. Um, we're not necessarily an event-driven church. Now, we can have events. Don't hear me saying that we're never going to do that. We want discipleship, and so we are praying for women like yourself to say, here's how much time I do have to give to her, and I can disciple women. And other women, here's what I can do. And to get at least one woman to meet with those women who can meet with more women and to be able to multiply it through that way. And it's the same thing we want to do for our men. But it is coming. I don't know when. Um, you all feel free, women, to email me with your thoughts. And I just said that. I knew I just opened up a can of worms. Um, and, and honestly, I want your thoughts to be able to help, not your critique. Right? Because you can't critique something that's not there. So, um, Let's, we've tried things, and they've started, they've ended, we've done things, and, you know, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that women are picky. We've just tried a lot of things, and they haven't liked it. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> true story, because uh, I can right now, maybe, I don't know, is that, uh, is that uh, I, when I was in my pastoral training, someone told me, a woman told me, if you really want to start to divide the church, start your women's ministry. And I, I'm telling you, we have never had um, as many complaints on how things were good or how things were bad in one setting. Uh, and so I was like, I don't know what to do. And I'm not there, because I'm not allowed to go. I'm not a, I'm not a woman. And, um, and so we're, we're figuring it out. So pray for us. Well, we need the Holy Spirit, uh, who's neither male nor female. And we, we he or, never mind. That's a, I, that went down a theological deal I didn't want to. How do I have a conversation with someone who, on the opposite end of the spectrum about things I am passionate about without getting angry? Huh. 
Somebody else needs to answer this question. I get angry and then confess later, unfortunately. Um, is uh, <sighs> angry, like you're never gonna, like the, the point is not to win the conversation. You've, we've yet to meet the person who've been persuaded because you've yelled at them and where it's last, it's lasted. So one, first believe you could be wrong, right? Especially when you're talking about certain things, you could be wrong, right? Or you may not understand that perspective. So hold deep and firm to your conviction. I'm not saying being spineless. No, no, no. Have a deep, burning conviction about whatever it is. Listen to me. If you are a cloth diaper person, dang it, you better want everybody to be cloth diapers. If you are disposable diapers, then dang it, you better throw those things away. Flush or whatever you do with them, right? It's been a while. <sighs> However, you guys better be able to be one. And I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek about the cloth diaper things, but I'm being honest with you. We've actually had people leave this church because they felt, they felt over-pressured about cloth, or not having cloth diapers or not having a natural birth. Or, I mean, just things that, I mean, honestly, those are things that are not gospel issues. If it's a gospel issue of the nature of who Christ is, his death and his resurrection, go, to, go, go bat to bat on that. But if it's political things, if it's where you're going to live, if it's homeschool, public school, no school, those are out here. I'm being honest with you. Those things are here. We sit around the gospel. So I think what you do is ask the person questions and really want to hear without you saying anything else. I just wanted to know. Process it. Come back. I have more questions. That's it. Let the process take its, let, let the process, you'll be surprised. You might find yourself not changing, but at least having a better perspective. Gun is one of those things for me personally. I'm not a gun toter or carrier or whatever it is. Um, but I had a friend whose life was threatened, and he wasn't either. His life was threatened, and his family was threatened. And he's always been someone who's never carried his gun. He goes, you know what? When you have a small child in the house, and someone has literally, you've got the police involved and everything, and someone's threatening you, for the first time in my life, I thought, man, you know what? I need a gun. And I thought, okay, I've never been threatened. It's legal in the state. You can carry a gun. Until then, Uncle Joe and Uncle Mo for me. So, <laughs> next one. And the Bible, my sword. We got two more, two more. What is the future of Redemption Kids? Very, very vague question. Uh, hopefully bright and beautiful. <laughs> uh, <laughs> people are having kids all the time, but I think if I'm trying to step into your shoes is what are we gonna do with our kids as they grow? We've just started in this past year um, our fifth, sixth grade ministry, and so we have a few kids in there, and that's led by Jake Slobodnik. A couple years ago, we started a high school and junior high ministry, so please invite every single junior high and high school kid that you know to be a part of it. Uh, Will Vakirovich is leading that currently right now, and it's going really well. They've been to a few summer camps for the past couple years, a few winter camps, and that's really good as they grow. The bulk of our kids are in that birth to like fourth grade range, and so we're starting to think about what does that look like to continue to give you all as parents um, the resources. Also, we need to be prepared for, God willingly, all those who are adopting kids into their family, like what does that look like for us to do ministry um, a alongside um, biological foster care and adopted kids to care for them. 
Um, I think that Caitlin Anderson and her team are doing a phenomenal job right now. It's ama- it really is an amazing ministry. Um, the other thing that I would say in that um, we need to, um, we're going to expand classrooms so we can have more space for people. Therefore, we need more volunteers um, to be able to have people in those particular classes. And then this summer, we're going to do something we've never done here in our 10-year history. Is like You guys have probably heard of Vacation Bible Schools. Um, it's weird. Church has been doing it forever, it seems like. We never have. And we're not going to do a Vacation Bible School this summer either. Mainly because we think the churches around here do it better than us. So by all means, and I'm being serious, send your kids to their church for Vacation Bible School. What we're going to do is an all-of-life camp. Shocker. That, that's what we named it. Oh, hey. <laughs> June 8th through 12th. Um, and, and that's mainly for elementary kids that we're going to get our first crack at it to see can we do it. And that's teaching them all the Bible stories, but how they relate to life. Having firemen come talk to them. We're going to take them to, to ASU to see the football field, hear from football players and stuff like that. I don't know whose idea that was. Um, and we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to go through a garden and do things and how these things actually relate to the gospel. One more question. Um, if my family is Buddhist, how do I talk to them about Christ? Um, I believe there's threads and there's themes in everybody's story, right? Whether it's an area of brokenness or success or something that I believe that the gospel ultimately fulfills. And so you, being raised in a family that's Buddhist, probably understands at least a theme that's not saving, but a theme that's incomplete that you can find completed fully in Jesus, And I know that seems like very esoteric or whatnot, but what I mean by that is you know your family better than I do, so I probably can't give you the information on exactly how to do it, but I can only give you the posture. And that is, do not criticize them for their belief. Tell them how wrong they are for believing what they believe. Here's why. Belief is something that is very important, and it's very, very personal, and people think through those things. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to renege what you believe, hold fast and hold firm, but in the same way with the question that was about how do you... um, have opposing conversations and not be angry, it's ask them questions. At some point, tell them, can I tell you why I believe? Don't tell them, can I tell you why I'm not a Buddhist anymore? No, no, no. Can I tell you why I trust and follow Jesus and what he has done for me and who he is? That's how you talk about Jesus. Completely make it about you without antagonizing them or antagonizing their faith because if they definitely believe in their faith and you start attacking their faith, I don't care what the religion may be, they have to naturally become defensive. And therefore, they can't hear anymore because they have their fists up. As opposed to you saying, in a very, very, not passive-aggressive way, but just saying, can I invite you into at least telling you? Because they care about you. They're your family. They're your friends. or your coworkers, whoever it may be. Can I invite you to tell you about who Jesus is and what he means for me in non-pushy ways and very normal ways? And I think that goes for everybody. Doing things in normal ways in the name of Jesus, Right? God added to the number of the people here because they ate together, they prayed together, they submitted to God's word together, they followed the spirit, and people kept becoming Christian by them doing normal things in the name of Jesus. And we pray that that would just be us, that we'd be normal, broken people, never above, superior to anybody else, never feeling inferior, but by God's grace, been on the same plane, on the same level as anybody, no matter what they believe. The only difference between a Christian and non-Christian is that by God's grace and his Holy Spirit, we are what we are. Amen? Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for the grace that's been extended to us through the work of your son, Jesus. We ask that you would continue to complete it in us, complete it in the next 20 years of us as a congregation. 
God, we do take seriously the financial commitment we have and ask that you would continue to press upon the hearts of the people here, um, Lord, to be generous in ways that uh, only you could move us. God, we, we uplift and thank you and pray for the name and the fame and the love of Christ to be present in our midst and to be present in the midst of those around us. God, we ask that we would continue to be faithful to you, faithful to your word, um, faithful to your spirit, and faithful to your people. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.